So election uh, being chosen, you know, I, I would have shied away from this topic in the past um, because I've always considered it a little bit fraught with difficulty, complexity. And yet I would say in as recently as in the last year, it's a topic that has really come to life. And it's just a, a delight, really, to have the opportunity to share some of the things that have become precious to me. And my prayer this afternoon, just before we came on, is that uh, this subject will really be lit up by our time in God's word together today. And that we'll be able to embrace it uh, and appreciate something of it, its significance. There are two passages of scripture. Well, actually, um, it's written all over scripture, this truth. But there are two key passages of scripture, I would say, by, by no means limited to, but I'd like us to read them together. The first is in Ephesians chapter one, and the second is in Romans chapter eight. And they're worth reading um, because they are beautiful pieces of scripture, not that all scripture isn't that, but for me, they're the kind of scriptures that if we're feeling down or defeated somehow, then they have the ability to lift us um, to a wonderful place. And that's really where I would like us like to, to try and take us together today. So Ephesians 1 and 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure when he purposed in Christ, when he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring, bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance our inheritance and the until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And the second scripture is also very familiar, another scripture that we can delight in as a, um, a really uh, delightful meditation, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 39. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have, been who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, 
that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring this charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. And then to verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we will um, dip in and out of those scriptures very briefly, and we have some others as well to underpin some of the things that we'll be enjoying together under this topic. But I have four headings that I'd like us to uh, systematically go through. The first is, you did not choose me, I chose you. Second is worry or worship. Third, preach, reach, each. And number four, distinguished company. You know, when I was a kid, uh, and it, it still applies today, I was the one who always had two left feet. And um, I just never really got sport at all. And I'm sure others can relate to the lineup at um, either playtime in the playground or uh, in a PE lesson, were two captains, usually the biggest and the and the most gifted in football or whatever it was, would step forward, and they would have to choose their team. And me, uh, I used to spend the time on the field really in my own goal mouth, kicking mud. Um, I would avoid the ball. <laughs> Um, and as a consequence, I was pretty much useless on, on anyone's team. So there's always the, the little skinny kid at the end that no one chooses. And, you know, I'm not, this isn't a bid for sympathy, but that's the reality. It's um, being chosen is, is uh, something very special and not being chosen, being left out, which was my experience in that particular context. It's kind of embarrassing. You know, that, that little experience, which perhaps uh, many of us can relate to. Um, when I was a teenager, I discovered this verse and it brought to life to me the whole truth about God's choice of me. It's the Lord's words in the upper room to his disciples in John 15, verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. When you're a kid, being the one that's always left at the end, and you just kind of um, go with whatever team you were, the, the teacher allocated you to, it really does get to you. It used to get to me. And 
the discovery from this verse that God chose me, I didn't choose him, was really a revelation. And I just, even as a young teenager, felt this was such a special thing. As you get older and, and um, get more immersed in God's word, it becomes evident that this idea of almighty God choosing individuals or people is something that characterizes our God through, throughout, the, throughout scripture. Deuteronomy 7 is a very beautiful verse and it obviously takes us back to the Old Testament. And bearing in mind Deuteronomy is about the old man Moses and he's articulating his experiences as leading people, the people of Israel for the last 40 years. He's articulating that to the current generation who weren't there at the start. And this is how he describes God's people. For you are a, a, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. What an amazing expression. The Lord did not set his affection on you, another amazing expression, and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you are the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Going back to my line up at school um of course kids were chosen for the team because of the football prowess or whatever it might have been and people were not chosen because of the ineptitude you know the the precious thing about god's choice of us is it's simply because he loves us and he chose to lavish his affection on us for no other reason then he loves us and it's not of any merit in myself it's not any merit in yourself it's simply a matter of God's sovereign choice and as we saw in that previous verse it's it's simply because he loves us if there's nothing more that that we take away from our talk tonight in our consideration of election and us being chosen by God because of his foreknowledge, then just take away the thought that God chose me because he loves me. But there's more to that, more to it than that. If we carry on with verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The word appointed, it's ordained. And you, it becomes a serious business. Of course, the Lord chose me for a reason. And that reason was he loves me. But he chose me for a purpose. And that was to, in the context of John 15, that was for his disciples to go and bear fruit. Fruit that would last. Accompanying John 15, that's the, the verse at the bottom of the screen still under you didn't choose me but i chose you which incidentally is unique to the christian faith all other faiths talk about um 
spending our lives somehow finding God. And I just enjoy that point that um, the Lord Jesus came to seek and to save me who was lost. He chose me. He found me. It wasn't me that chose or found him. That's unique. But going back to Romans uh, 8, and just wanted to highlight some of the uh, truths that are so precious um, here. And it's in the context of the purpose for which God has chosen me. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. You know, how often do we think of Romans 8 and 28 and then stop after that? Because we love the promise, don't we? All things work together for good. For those who love him it's such a an amazing promise that has got so much in it but catch the end of the verse who have been called according to his purpose we're talking about the sovereign choice of god that are to do with accomplishing his divine sovereign purposes in the universe that's why that's the reason the purpose for which God has called you and called me and chosen you and chosen me is it's because we have uh, an opportunity and a responsibility to engage in the purposes of God. That's amazing. That's um, for us something that begins in the here and now. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's the objective. And um, that, that's something that begins in the here and now. The disciples in the upper room, they were to bear fruit, fruit that would last. And the reason for God's choice of me and you is so that we can begin the purpose, of, the, the process of um, being conformed to the likeness of his son in the here and now. But, you know, there's a, a special um, tense in these in verse 29 of Romans 8. It's a past tense. Catch that. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. We're talking about God's sovereign choice before time began. And therefore, from God's perspective, these things have already been accomplished. Our being conformed to the likeness of his son. It's our ultimate, God's ultimate objective for us. And from God's perspective, there is a sense in which that's already accomplished. Called, justified and glorified, you know, in our in our um, experience, um, some of these things can't happen this side of eternity. We're going to be dealing with glorification next week. I forget who's doing that one. But from our perspective, uh, a future objective, uh, from God's perspective in eternity, it's a done deal. And this is part of the amazing truth of election or being chosen. It's something that happened in eternity past. And therefore, no one can interfere with it, which, of course, is the purpose of the second part of Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God or the things that we have in him. I mentioned at the beginning that um, it's a, a topic that 
I probably would have um, held at arm's length a little bit because of some of the complexities that come with um, the thought of election and predestination and God's foreknowledge and his sovereign choice. And um, the challenge really is when we consider this topic, does it cause us to worry or does it cause us to worship? And you might think, well, wh why would it cause us to worry? And that's because our logical human limited minds, we get tangled up with the implication that if God chose me, it implies he didn't choose other people. And then we start looking around and thinking, well, has that person been chosen? And if it happened in eternity past, what's the point? What's the point of preaching the gospel if it's already been decided? What's the point of praying if it's already been decided? And these things can become a real burden. So much so they become a distraction from enjoying the truth of election. Here's a quotation from our booklet. Um, I forget which chapter we're up to, actually, but getting towards the end of the booklet. It says in the New Testament, it's always to the believer that the truth of election is presented for assurance, encouragement and joy. For me, that's a really key uh, observation to embrace. The truth of election and God's sovereign choice is never addressed to unbelievers. Um, this truth is only applied to those who believe. You know, we, with our human logic, we can often get tangled up in, in, well, what are the implications of this truth for other people? You get a little hint of it in principle um, in John 21, when um, Peter, remember Peter was challenged by the Lord, do you love me? And um, the Lord indicated to Peter how he would eventually be a martyr. And, and Peter says, well, what about him pointing at John? And um, the Lord Jesus said, well, what's that to you? And I would just encourage us to um, not get consumed by the implications of this truth when we're considering others. And you might think, well, that's a, a little bit irresponsible because surely we have to be concerned for other people. But here's a, a really important verse for us to embrace, and it's taking it a little bit out of context, but I, I think it applies really to all the doctrines of the gospel. Paul says to the Corinthians, we speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. One of the things that I think we need to begin with in trying to overcome this worry or worship concept is that God is outside of time. And that means he knows the end from the beginning. And we're inside of time. We're not blessed with a view of the bigger picture. And therefore we can't 
apply our own human logic to something that extends beyond the dimensions that we're limited to. So all we can do is enjoy the truth that we see from God's word. And that is God chose us before the creation of the world because of his foreknowledge. And also accept the reality. And this is the crux of this uh, worry or worship thing. It's what about human responsibility? What about our responsibility to accept the Lord Jesus as our savior, to exercise faith? And that's, of course, taught in scripture as well. And both of these things, the sovereignty of God and human responsibility in scripture, they sit side by side in our human logic bound by time and by a limited understanding of the bigger picture. We um, we need to just accept that um, we can't fathom these things. You might think that that's a, a little bit of a, a cop out, but it's not. Um, we're talking about plumbing the depths of the knowledge and the wisdom of almighty God. And how dare we challenge him with our limited um, understanding? Here's where Paul gets to. He spends the whole of well, the first 10 chapters of Romans and he's dealing with this very issue. Of course, his, his theme is about law and grace, but he also deals with the issue of God's sovereign choice and human responsibility. We've been there in Romans chapter eight. And I just get the sense that when we get to chapter 11, and it, it's, it's like um, he gets to a point where he's so overwhelmed with the, um, the capacity of, of the God he's trying to understand that he, he comes out with this spontaneous uh, doxology of praise. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You know, we can um, occupy our minds with the uh, unfathomable, unfathomable things that uh, we struggle to understand because we haven't got the capacity to understand them. Or we can just um, relax in faith and trust the things that God's word teaches us and accept them as facts. And we transition from worry into worship, which was Paul's experience. Here's a, a little statement. It's half a verse of one of our PHSS hymns. And I, I think it, it's totally relevant here. Where reason fails with all her powers, there faith prevails and love adores. We need to accept the reality that as we try and understand the infinite God, we will get to a point where our reason fails, despite how clever we might be, and there faith prevails and love adores. That's really the response of the heart to this amazing topic when we get to the point of trying to grapple with the truth of God's sovereign choice and human responsibility uh, coexisting together.
want to mention um, our responsibility to to share the gospel, um, because another logical conclusion that we might come to in this topic is what's the point of preaching the gospel when it's already predetermined? And the reality is we preach the gospel uh, not just because we're told to, but because it's very clear from scripture that we have a role to play, if you like, a, an agent. Of course, we're working um, in partnership with the Holy Spirit as an agent to reach out to people. Here's a remarkable verse, Acts chapter 13. This is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and who and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. That's a, a statement about election, those who were appointed for eternal life. And they believed as a consequence of the gospel being preached. Isn't it amazing that we have it's a responsibility, it's an obligation, it's an opportunity, it's a privilege to speak the gospel to those around us, because that's the way those who are appointed for eternal life will believe. And of course, we're a channel and it's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict them of their sin and of their need for a savior. But it's our responsibility to preach. Very familiar verses in Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a, a wonderful promise that is. How can, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are not sent? So the point here is, as we understand and accept the wonder of election, God's choosing and his sovereign choice. And we understand the uh, human responsibility in that as well, sitting alongside, the, alongside each other in a way our minds cannot fathom. Our opportunity and responsibility is to be that uh, agency by our um, relationship with the Holy Spirit in our daily lives to be his witnesses. I have a challenge for us, and it, it's really born out of a challenge I've received myself from, that uh, should say Romans 1, Romans 10 and 1, I think. Paul, bearing in mind where it's coming, it's coming after chapter 9, which is all about uh, God's uh, sovereign choice, human responsibility. Uh, and before that passage, we just had about um, the need for someone to preach. And he says, brothers, my heart's desire, this is Paul, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites that they may be saved. That, that, that's a verse worth reading again. My heart's desire and prayer for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So I believe Paul was talking about his Jewish friends who hadn't got the point yet. And his heart's desire and prayer was that they might be saved. It teaches me that praying for the salvation of people who our hearts desire to be saved is something we should do. If the Apostle Paul did it, 
then it's something, of course, that we should do. There's so much evidence throughout Paul's letters that he believed with all his heart that prayer makes a difference. There's lots of examples of that. And here is a statement which says, our prayers for the salvation of unsaved make a difference. How does that square with election and God's sovereign choice in eternity past and, and the responsibility of man? I don't know, but it's part of the thing that we're, uh, we're asked to do. And my challenge really is to my own heart is who am I praying? Whose salvation am I praying for? And whose salvation are you praying for? It's something that we should do. And it's something that I believe with all my heart will make it make a difference. I don't mind sharing with you. And I don't know whether this is a disappointment to you because it's such a limited list. But I have five people on my list that I pray for that they be saved every day. One of those people who's been on the list, I think, since uh, February 2020. She was saved about uh, four months ago and is now in fellowship in Myanmar. And I just delight in that, um, that when we pray for someone's salvation, it makes a difference. Please take that away as a, as a challenge. Finally, uh, distinguished company, what's all this about? Well, I really wanted to conclude with um, adding another dimension to our being uh, called and chosen by God's sovereign choice. Um, the, the message here is that I need to celebrate the wonder of God's choice of me. He said to his disciples, uh, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And that, as a teenager, was something that became precious to me and has remained precious ever since. But the other element to it is I need to understand, brothers and sisters, that just in the same way as God chose me, he also chose you. <laughs> and that means that together we're, we form a distinguished company. And it's not distinguished on the basis of any merit that we deserve, going back to Deuteronomy 7. It's simply because he's lo he loves us. But we need to see each other through God's eyes as he chose me, so he chose you. And we have an opportunity to serve together. And I want us to conclude with 1 Peter chapter 1. It's a very special verse, the introduction of, um, of Peter's first lesson. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world. Brothers and sisters, I don't know whether you've ever considered yourselves as God's elect, but that's how we are described. And it's on the basis of this doctrine of his sovereign choice. And we are, are God's elect. There's a lovely expression in, in Psalm, I think it's Psalm 16, verse 3, that describes the Lord's people as the excellent of the earth. Think of that. It's how God sees us because of his sovereign choice. There's a, there's a challenge, strangers in the world, God's elect who are strangers in the world. That's how we should be scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We've thought a lot about sanctification uh, in our recent 
ministries for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. We're, we're in distinguished company because God loves us and has chosen us. But we have been, note the, the triune God here, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. The sprinkling of the blood episode takes us back to Exodus when um, this, is, this is not Passover blood. This is about um, the sprinkling and the, the covenant that God had with his people. And their response was all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We've said that God chose us because he loves us, but the purpose that he's chosen us for is that we might be obedient, collectively obedient to Jesus Christ because of the, the sprinkling of his blood, the new covenant that we have to be his elect strangers in the world and fulfilling his expectation of us. It's a, a wonderful topic, hopefully um, a little appetite wetter really for us to not shy away from it because of perhaps complexities that we might see, but embracing it with all our hearts and not worrying about it and the implications for others, but using the truth as a means to uh, well up in worship out of appreciation and to do our part in preaching and in praying for others and to embrace the collective opportunity we have as God's chosen people. Thank you.